carry on. Hi, guys. And welcome to Sex and the City Podcast. Samantha's like, he's got the most perfect <laughs> How did this happen? How did they get the message that the ass is now on the menu? I've been dating since I was 15. I'm exhausted. Where is he? Thanks. Bye. Great sex. There was also a TV show, was there not? There, I believe there was a TV show. I know there was a Paris Hilton movie called The Hottie and the Naughty. Oh. I didn't see it, but I do recall that. I forgot about that. It was co-starring the middle child from Step by Step, the one who was a tomboy. Step by step, day by day by day. Um, Christine Lakin? Yes. Mm, yes. Deep pull, but you found it? No, I know her. Oh, you do? I mean, not really. Yeah. But uh, freshman year of college, I worked at a theater, volunteered at a theater on Melrose, and she was in the musical there. And it was a really special time in my life. Yeah. Yes. And she had a really special part in that show to me. And there was, she'd always, this <laughs> sounds so crazy, but it was a musical and it was starring Kristen Bell. And what? Yes, Kristen Bell. What theater was this? The. It's not the Zephyr. Gosh, what is it? The Matrix. The Matrix oh, Theater. Oh, wow. And Christine Lakin, um, she was hilarious. And yep. her, she's an incredible sing, like voice. Really? Yes, incredible. And she had a part of a song where she did like a sort of lap dance with a, with a, an audience member. And I would always sit in the front row and I always felt really cool when she'd pick me. I saw the show like over 20 times. Um... Christine Lakin. I always thought she was so pretty. Even she's, when she was the tomboy, I was like, she's, she's so pretty. Beautiful. And very tan. I remember on very Step by Step, tan. she was oh, yeah. very tan. Oh, yes. And being tan was so important then. It was. And she had bright white teeth and tan, yeah. olive tan skin. She, I was she also, very jealous. She also kind of had that hair that was like the, almost the same color as her skin tone. Yes, that's absolutely. Right. And very thick. I mean, it yeah. wasn't Danielle Fischel. Thick yes, or Fischel. I yeah. never knew which way you I'm say not, that. I'm not sure. Yeah, and she they always put her in like a soccer jersey, but that wasn't fooling no one. I don't know. I thought she was a cool tomboy. Yeah, I'm just saying but that also under cute. those umbros oh, or whatever tatties. were her fat naturals. <laughs> umbros? Yeah, umbro. Wasn't that a, that no, was I a remember. sports it's brand? Just such, it's such a throwback. Um, under her is. tatties? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that slang? For no, I said under her umbro was her tatties. Oh, was her t- yeah. By oh, which I mean okay. titties. Oh, yeah, her I've... fat naturals. <laughs> her fat natches. Um, hey, everybody! Welcome to Martinis in the Morning. I'm Cookie. Oh, oh. god! All right, welcome to Carry On the Sex in the City podcast. I'm Alec Wells. I'm Cat. Well, and with us tonight is a true carry on favorite and a true oh. American hero. They oh. ask for him every week and tonight we got him. It's Daniel Montgomery. Oh, you flatter me. He's going to take you inside the Vogue fucking accessories closet I'm and he's going to show you Vogue. his show me your Versace. Versace. Do I have to? Do yes. I BAFTA? <laughs> Be my father figure. Oh gosh. Wait a guys. minute. That's not how you pick someone up no. no everybody wanted to be called daddy in this episode not oh. me or james remar nope get her no, out he did not no so i should say before yeah. we go any further please do um that i'm looking for a small party of three just mm. me richard and a third oh uh, but more importantly would we you just, like one of our private banquet rooms in the i back? will um cancel my rice pudding <laughs> <laughs> we just watched season four episode Seventeen. 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 A Vogue idea. It aired February 3rd, 2002. Oh. Written by Alan Heinberg, directed by Martha Coolidge. Martha? Martha, that's my mom's name, too. Whoa. (laughs) I've seen superhero movies. Um, that's all I've got. Okay, so, um, I, I completely, being honest, confessional moment here, I think this is a wonderful episode. Every time that Kat and I watch it at home, I make her skip the scene where Julian drops his pants yes. because it's so awkward to this, me. This is an episode that, an episode that I would choose to skip. 
to skip. Really entirely. Is it just because of that storyline? No, I don't mean like if I was doing like a marathon, I bet we have to skip it. I mean, if it were on TV, I probably would not sit and watch the whole thing. Even despite the, I think the Miranda Charlotte stuff's so good. It is so good. But the, the Julian stuff, I really don't like it. It doesn't work really well. I, I, I think it uh, well, I have a lot to say about the. Mm-hmm. the let, let's start there. Why don't we? Yeah, so, sure. So, um, and and I, if you'll indulge me, I sort of want to just give our listeners a quick recap of what it's about, and not spend our entire time recapping it because I actually like to get into the meat of mm. what this story means. Oh, and Alex especially what this story up. means. Oh, we can do now. a quick recap and then. Get that meat. Yeah. If, if you'll indulge me. Well, will, uh, will okay, you? Richard, it said. is your birthday. Dost thou like the taste of butter? And cream. And creams. <laughs> Wouldst thou like to live deliciously? deliciously. Butter and all. Um, so, (laughs) just to catch our (laughs) listeners up really quick, when we, when we see Carrie for the first time in this episode, she is at Vogue. No, the first time we see her in this episode, I wrote my first note was short hair. Daniel comes with receipts. That's right. (laughs) Show me the receipts. (laughs) So we actually, the first time we see her is actually before she walks into Vogue. So she acknowledges her haircut. And I really like that we see her on, I'm sorry, I'm doing that thing that you didn't want to do. No, no, please, no. Uh, this is a fine way to intro. Okay, continue. I was just going to say that we see her walking down the street in New York on her way to work, which is not something she normally does. Normally, yes. work is at home, and she's walking amongst noticeably normal slash real New Yorkers. Mm. I paid a lot of attention to the extras that we see. Oh, and, what did you notice? Well, they're not. I guess they're not extras. They're probably just real people. Uh, just that Carrie is. Thirty, flirty, and thriving, and fabulous, Ooh. and all of them are like a little. They're just like, hey, I'm in New Yorker. Yeah. Like nobody look, nobody else looks fabulous, is what I'm saying. She's trying to pick up the cake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, go- I'm going. So wait, I'm um, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> so um, I, I do think I'm glad that you brought up her haircut because I, I do want to say something about all that. All I can think about the this first episode, of it being sure. that often you find your characters get new haircuts at the beginning of a season. Mm. So I think it's really interesting that here at the tail end of season four, we see her with a new look. Some might say it's that thing you do when you have a breakup. Some might say. You're like, I want to look, I'm a different person now. Aiden doesn't even know who I am because I've got a curly bob now. Mm. Is that what we call that? Yeah. I would call, I would a call long it bob. A, a bob, yes. A long bob. Yes, yeah. I would say that it's And it's bob. sort of like, if you kind of look at the back of her head, it's a little bit tapered. It, it is. It, it is tapered. What's interesting to me about it is is how dark it is in the back and how how frosted yes, and light it is in that the was front. very that contrast was, very was in a thing vogue that... at the time okay. but uh, show me the receipts but, but it be it you know that sort of it, it's not ombre by any means but like almost it fine if like there is a fade of color i feel like yes there's a fade but i also feel like it was a it was definitely a thing to have a darker like to have a contrast where you have your hair is really dark under and then yes. blonde on top that was, was a thing for it was time. like a year or two before no it was just one year before there was the like Kelly Clarkson. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're right. With like the true, true, like really dark roots and yes. thick, chunky like, highlights that God did not give no, you. No, those were not highlights. Those were chunks. Those were chunks. You're right. Yeah. Those were chunks. Yes. yes. The, I I think Carrie looks so good in this episode. She looks fan- Her body. Yeah. Yeah. Her body. And when she comes to the um, the baby shower and she's in a crop oh. And that glitter skirt. She I has know. like those 1950s like nuclear atomic tits. Yeah. Oh, they're fantastic. They're, they're, they're tit-tastic. They yeah. really are. I feel like that outfit at the baby shower is like a top 15 at least outfit. Oh, right? I, uh, I mean, maybe higher. You know, I hadn't thought about that before. But Me neither. I, I can, I, I could get behind. But that. you bringing it up that t- that dusty like she sky blue the crop really top and that sexy. glitter skirt. Yeah. She looks great. I would say there. She gets pissed on and she still yeah. looks great. <laughs> you know, the other day I was wearing. Let's talk about me for a while. Always. Okay. I was wearing this shirt that is that is newspaper print. It's a button-up <gasps> cute shirt. Like her dress? And somebody came up to me <gasps> no. and made a comment about Carrie's You're dress. You're joking. 
and was like, oh, that reminds me of that. And no. I just walked in slow motion across that street, ignored him. Did you? walked away. And then you stared into the eyes of a horse. Yes. And then you looked at the camera in slow motion. Yeah, I did. And then a car hit me. <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> I would I would put two of her outfits in the top 15. In this episode. The outfit she wears at Vogue. The, the Vogue outfit is incredible. It yeah. is it is the wildest most modern twist on a woman wearing a suit. It's yes. True. It's sort of a pinstriped. She's got a a pseudo blazer it's and like yes. an uneven skirt. lapel thing. Like one's just giant and oversized. Yes. yes. And her, I want to just say, and I think this might've been a early two thousands trend, but her makeup is so beautiful. Not unlike Christine Lakin. It's like, she's very tan in this episode and her makeup is very naturalistic. Mm-hmm. Like everything is sort of a flesh tone, but there are some frosty elements. So you've got some yeah. highlights around her eyes and her lips. If, if I remember correctly. I think she's absolutely breathtaking yeah, in this phen- episode. She looks phenomenal. That's yeah, right. she is like at her prime, just like James Remar. That's mm-hmm. right. As Samantha says, I don't know that I agree with her, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's... If, if, you, if you'll indulge me for a second, we can go back and do details. I just want to just yeah, want to quickly go through it because I want to I want to bring up a, a larger point. OK, yes, let's so do. in this episode, Carrie has been tasked to write articles for Vogue and her editor, Candace Bergen, Enid at Vogue, does not like her work. It's not up to her standards, but she has a mentor Julian, who also works at Vogue. He kind of got her the job. He got her the job and he sort of takes her under his wing. Julian, the assignment was 500 words on accessories, not men. And I'm not convinced she knows anything about purses or for that matter, men. Enid, for the love of God. Miss Bradshaw, what you've handed us here is essentially just your newspaper column with the word style jammed in where the word sex used to be. We're not looking for vogue according to your agenda. No one cares about your agenda. That's not true. Oh, forgive me. I don't care about your agenda. I care about designers. Oscar de la Renta, Chanel, Dior. I want less Carrie Bradshaw and more Carrie this bag with these shoes. Do you see what I mean? You're a writer. You should be writing this down. I was trying to find a way to introduce the bags and the bracelets with a little humor. Kind of, men are the new black. <laughs> it was supposed to be funny. It was supposed to be bags. They, they, she, she gets so many notes on this um, piece that she's written. And Julian's like, it's okay. They go to dinner. He says, listen, it's okay. I'll take you under my wing. You don't have to report to Enid. You can report to me and, and, and I'll help you gu- guide you through this Vogue journey, which she's super appreciative of. He seems like a father figure. Also at this he dinner. He wants to be. Yeah, yeah. Also at this dinner, they get into um, her personal life. She's not seeing a man anymore. And he brings up like, well, you know, she wants to quit Vogue. And he says, well, what would your father think? And she's like, my father, Wouldn't you know, anything. he it's wasn't It's a very there. fucking patriarchal thing to say, but whatever. Yes, exactly. I feel like that's in the weeds. Sorry, oh, Alec. No. Totally. Something in me just had to. Yes. No, totally. no I, I appreciate that. So. Then, um, you know, he says, isn't it interesting that your father uh, left you at a very young age? Well, this is, this is the, I think this is one of the two times we talk about Carrie's, like, upbringing at all. Yep. Yes, it and is. And she says that her father left her and her mother when she was five years old. Yep. And then, so his comment is, well, like, don't you think that's interesting that your father left when you were five and now for 20 years you've been asking questions about men or something? Yes, which she really takes to heart. So ultimately what happens is um, she, she shows Julian her article at the office late at night and he says, hey, come check out the secret Vogue accessories closet where he then exposes himself to her. Thankfully, just his just his Versace saggy underwear. Versace underwear body. And she's embarrassed and mortified by it. And he says to her something along the lines of, you know, maybe you need like a father figure slash lover in your life to work out your daddy issues. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we'll go in greater de- detail about it makes this. Hey, yeah. And I want us to go in greater detail, but the reason I sort of sped through this is because I read a really interesting Vanity Fair article, which we will link to, about this episode specifically in the post Me Too era. And the article talks about how the idea of the patriarchy plays so heavily into this episode from the very top to the very end of the episode. So I want to walk you through some of the things that this article said and get your opinion on it. Alec, I am... I'm. F- uh, you just flooded my basement. Yeah. Well, prepare yourself. What's your father think here? And you say that. <laughs> yeah. We're about to have a motherfucking tsunami in this bitch. Get ready. <laughs> so the first thing that this article brings up that is spot on is that when we see Carrie in the Vogue office, Candace Bergen's character Enid Enid Frick is giving Carrie notes on her article, and she says. I don't want Carrie Bradshaw. I want purses. That's what the article is is supposed to be about. I don't care about your agenda. Julian, as Carrie's quote-unquote mentor, sees Enid as frigid and harsh, and um, it, her, her notes are too strong on what was supposed to be Carrie's humor and personality that she brings to the article. But Enid is a high-powered woman, knows exactly what she wants, asked for something specific, and Carrie didn't deliver on it. So the first like element we see in this episode that could be in- interpreted differently is the idea that Enid is completely right in this scene. Imagine if Enid has a specific kind of article that she wants to have written about purses and Carrie delivers something that isn't what she wants. Is it not within her purview and exactly as the employer, her right to criticize and give notes on Carrie's article? If she didn't deliver what Enid wanted, and Enid, remember, is the editor of of Vogue in this instance, I guess, of maybe like the article Yeah, we know Anna Wintour exists in this world because Carrie yeah. mentions her. So, But Enid is more important certainly than Julian. Yeah. But Julian, as the man, sweeps in to yeah. fix it for Carrie. So the first thing Does to the- note is that Enid is doing her job in this scene and giving Carrie notes on her article, which is completely within her right, but is undermined by Julian who begins grooming Carrie immediately by taking her into his office and... Playing Billie Holiday and saying, the only person I can think of who's in more pain than you right now, here, have a dirty martini. And plying her with cocktails to get her drunk. The next time we see Julian, he is taking her to dinner where he's talking about her personal life, specifically her father, in what Daniel rightly noted is the only time in this series, at least apparently according to this Vanity Fair article, that we ever mention Carrie's family. It's the only time. So, I, I, I yes, I hear this. Um, I came into this episode, you know, having an aversion to Julian, of course, mm-hmm. having seen this before. However, I think at the time, what the what was trying to be presented to us was a trustworthy older man that was on Carrie's side that that was somebody that we potentially as like a, a, a you know a, a audience member could get to know and like mm-hmm. and would hope that this guy would be you know truly like a, mm-hmm. a, a good mentor and he doesn't show any, he really kind of doesn't show much. Mm, he does give her alcohol, but doesn't show. I think it was supposed to be a surprise. The first I, time you see it. Right? I, I abs- You mean it's supposed to be a surprise, a surprise that, that he's he, not that, a good guy, that he's not uh-huh. a good guy. And I think that's exactly the point is that perhaps if you want to interpret it as such, that the things that he does, calling her cookie, establishing physical contact when he says chin up and he he touches her uh-huh. for the first time, yes. that that is a, a quote-unquote grooming Grooming. method. Now, I'm not saying that he knew specifically, like, I'm going to touch her here, then I'm going to take her to dinner. This could be completely subliminal, right. and he doesn't even understand well, she, what he's doing. She invited him to dinner. Mm-hmm. Oh, That's yes, true. you're right, you're right. 
But yes, but he sees an opportunity and he sort of moves on it. I, I guess it's my man, question sorry, is, well, I just, from the, from a writing standpoint, um, uh, okay. Given all that we know about the way the story turns out, what's the purpose of this? Right. That, I guess a, what I mean is I'm what are they, of, what are the writers trying to accomplish with this storyline specifically as far as Carrie goes? As I leave this episode, I'm like, what did, was it supposed to be ultimately like kind of like a silly, funny, wacky moment. I don't, it's not fun for me. Or was it like, it's like, what is our, like, what is the point of, there's, we spend so much time with Julian and Carrie gets so drunk with him. I was like, is this funny? Uh So here's the summation of that Vanity Fair Mm, article. Please. Julian drops his pants uh, as sort of an invitation to Carrie, which she balks at. And we, in this show, have a very unique view into Carrie's internal life because she narrates the show. But she never talks about the incident. She doesn't talk to her friends about it. She doesn't talk to anybody about the fact that a man exposed himself to her. And he continues to work at Vogue without any repercussion. The only thing that she does is goes to work for Enid while Julian could potentially be mentoring other young female writers and exposing himself in the accessories room. Now, I want to say that I all I'm doing the past 10 minutes is telling you the Vanity Fair article. I'm not saying that I necessarily subscribe to like interpreting the episode this way. I'm just saying that in the post-Me Too era, when this Vanity Fair article was written, it is interesting to look at this and think about Carrie, who late at night was at Vogue with a man who was her superior, who was her boss. Who got her this job. Taking her into a room where the two of them are alone, exposing himself in his underwear to her, and she never speaks of it again. It's a secret. It's a secret that they share, and the way that she adjusts her life is to go back to Enid, who's the quote-unquote mean lady, mean editor, as to sort of, I don't know, stave him off from embarrassment. It's... I don't mean to bring the tone of the room no, well, down No, I think all. what's interesting I- about that, though, is... Um, and thank you for this gift, Alec. Um, is is I wonder, watching that when it premiered on February 3rd, 2002, um, if this played differently. I bet it Absolutely. Right, well, I guess because ever since... I mean, I, you and I... We watched, though, I, I feel like... When did you introduce me to Sex and the City, Alec? 2005? 2005, 6? Yeah. So three years, four years after... I don't think I've ever found this episode this storyline like as funny as I feel like it was intended to be, but it's an interesting exercise, uh, I guess of sort of like how things just don't age well because, because certain Mm. things are accepted at the time. You're like, Oh, the boys will be boys. Yes. That's what I think is supposed to be funny and boys will be boys. And like, wow, what a, what a comedy of errors, you know, she gets to finally go to the Vogue closet and this old man drops his pants. And it's like, now we're like, ugh. I'm embar- but then it's supposed yes. to be funny. I'm embarrassed to admit that before I read this article, I don't even know if I would have perceived it this way. It's only through the, I guess you could call it enlightenment of reading this article that I even thought to look at this epi- episode through that lens. And, um, you know, it's still a little bit hard for me to look at it through that lens because I want to just be entertained by it and i think that there's an element of me that can leave that behind it is simply for entertainment this never actually happened yeah none of these things happen it's but just it's, writing this is why we talk about pop culture though um and television shows and storylines is like you know i personally i'm not a giant fan of all of the postmodern think pieces that have come out about sex and the city and friends and the stuff where it's like very self-satisfied virtue sigl- signaling um, articles where they're like, guess what? Chandler was really homophobic. Yes. Yes. Um, that's true. Um, but at the time when you're watching and I'm not saying it makes it okay. It's just like, it, 
that Friends was a moment in time. Sex and the City was a moment in time. And I think it does, it creates a, a time capsule in a way that is so unique because it mm-hmm. not only was reflective of the time that it came out, but it also shaped the time, the the, the culture when it came out. And uh, so I do think that this is very interesting. And I want to be clear here that... I- this isn't necessarily my point of view on the episode. I just thought it was interesting reading this article. And I mean, I think we also have to consider the idea that while the things that that were said in this article are literally true, that those are the things that happened in the episode and perceived through the this lens could be seen as problematic you could also equally say that like in the Samantha storyline with the three way, when Samantha pushes that girl off the bed, it's physical abuse. <laughs> and like, you know, That's that assault. girl could report her to the police because she abused her. So I just want to like, let's keep it in context <laughs> yes, of like, of course. you know, sometimes things are meant to be funny and you could examine them like through a lens of like, well, was that really appropriate or was that abuse or was that sexual assault? Maybe it was just supposed to be funny in a fake TV show where nobody actually exists and is real. And I promise you, no one was hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Except that Carrie Bradshaw is a real person and you can't ever tell me otherwise. Is that fair to say? I think that's fair. Okay. Let's <laughs> let's just go back to laughing. LOL. And I, did, re- I, did have, I did have some difficulty enjoying this episode as much as I would like because I just... It's like we're so um, hyper aware of, I think at least, of sort of, which I think is probably a good thing, of the, the I don't even want to say grooming, but the signals of that. Yeah. That it makes it, it even though I knew what was coming, it made me feel uneasy. Yes. You know, yeah. so like I, I was like, I can't laugh. I can't like laugh or enjoy Carrie being that drunk mm-hmm. at at Vogue because I know what's going to happen. Yes. Yeah. And also like, I, I actually didn't think like Carrie being that drunk was funny. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is weird. Yes. <laughs> like this is it's kind of sad. And it's like, why did that happen? And how did she get that drunk? And like, it's kind yes. of like, it's like physical comedy. Yes. Where it's like, she's stumbling around. Yeah, She's great at that. Yeah. And, but I, but I was like, I'm good. Like, Sure. Well, you know, because... Where's Miranda? This yeah. is one of those episodes where a couple people embarrass themselves, which is hard for me to watch. Like, forget the Me Too stuff. Julian just embarrasses himself mm. by dropping his pants, and that's why I don't want to watch that yeah. scene. Yeah. Yeah. You're, yeah. Um, you're a synesthete in that way. It's very hard for you to watch people embarrass themselves. Don't, but he didn't seem embarrassed ever. No. no. Which is the other thing that makes Never. it feel extra predatory. He's just like, ah, he's come just, on, I can help going, you. She's going, no. She's, she is emphatically saying no, averting her eyes, and he's like, cookie. Yeah. It's like, dude, take no for an answer. There is something about this episode that there there is an element of farce to it. Yes, I feel I agree. like... Charlotte and Miranda especially, but even Carrie sometimes, especially when she was with the other women, they're really enjoying their lines and dialogue yeah. and they're like really like hamming it up. Charlotte and Miranda's the fight lovely was that, yeah. that stuff is so... Charlotte, I feel like Charlotte's always like plus 10%. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, I, I may, maybe like, I don't, like I, I, um... I just died for a second. Uh, <laughs> I'm resuscitating you. Come back to us, Alec, Daniel. Alec, Alec, get your mouth off of that. <laughs> Never. Inappropriate. Never. I just mean, Charlotte, I don't even know if it's the character or if it's, but like, or the acting, but it's, she's always like a little above reality. Yes. yes. Always, uh, always, yes. always. Yes, absolutely. So the fights with that, the side scene that occurs, one of my favorite moments of, of the whole series is, um, Miranda and Charlotte fight, fighting over the yes. phone um, se- seasons ago, I yeah. think, at yes. this point. But uh, they do have a fight over the phone, sort of, mm-hmm. in this episode as well. And I wrote my notes. I would have hung up, too. Yes. What other phone fight are you referring to? It's the to? one I choose my choice. Oh, of yes. course. When yes. she decides to quit the gallery. Oh, it's mm-hmm. incredible. Um, can, we, can I make a special request? Because I would like to end on um, Miranda and... Charlotte. Sure, there's so a couple can we other Samantha next. Oh, well, there's a couple other things I want to say about Carrie oh before, my gosh, before we move on. I really appreciate um, seeing this happens so rarely in television shows. I feel, but 
I'd like to see our heroes struggle at their job. Like, it makes me feel better about work when I see that, like, so, so much of television movies is is our protagonists being perfect mm-hmm. at everything all the time. And so it's nice to see, like, Carrie has this work that she's done and it's got red marks all over it mm. and it's not right and she didn't she didn't get it perfect on the first try and she got a fresh new haircut and, a, and probably spent two thousand dollars on a new outfit mm-hmm. to go um to go to this like the first she's like it's my job and they're gonna tell me how good i did yeah and then and it's then marked what, like a fucking a murder asshole. scene what i kind of can't believe when i all think also think is so carrie is she gets that feedback on the article she technically knew she was supposed to write. (laughs) And we just had this episode about the, the almost insurmountable financial issues that she's encountering. And she decides she's just going to quit. I know. I, you know what, Daniel, I never ever thought about that before this viewing. And I've watched this episode a lot of times. I was like, you're going to quit your $4. I'm going to quit the episode. Just write the, can I, and, and I did the math. I come with receipts um, just write the the yeah. first she, article. She told Charlotte in the last episode that she most people get two dollars a word at Vogue, and she negotiated up to four dollars and fifty cents. Four dollars and fifty cents at five hundred words, which is what this five hundred words, you guys, is nothing. nothing. Yeah, I write like ads paragraphs. all day long for work, yeah. and I'm usually writing two hundred words. It's nothing. Yes, five hundred words. $2,250 for one article. You'd be a fool. That. And remember, do you she's remember? She's paying her rent with this article and she's like, I maybe just quit. What? What? Doesn't yeah. seem to me like she's turned over a new leaf. Yeah. She's got a new mortgage. Hello, cookie. Hello. Cookie, wake up. <laughs> Phone, uh, a phoning cookie. Double chocolate chip. Get your shit together, bitch. I want a motherfucking double doozy from Mrs. Fields right oh, now. Oh, Daniel, did you ever have a double doozy? No, what is a double doozy? Oh. is two cookies with vanilla icing in the middle like a I've sandwich. had J.D. Reese before. Okay, no, that's, that's ice, ice cream. cream. We're talking icing, you bitch. Oh, yeah. I don't like like icing. Oh, wow. I get the get off out. my stoop. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, hang on. One more thing. One more goddamn thing okay, I want to say that carries storyline and then we can move we should on. Have, we should have cookies in a line. <laughs> oh, that would have been a great I idea. I I'm so sorry. We could have made cookies with butter and aisle. <laughs> So about this lawsuit that was brought against you and your brother, Bubba, the manager of your restaurant claims that your brother sexually harassed her and that you said racist things. Those allegations are a bunch of butter and owl. I'm sorry, did you say butter and oil? No, Seth, butter and owl. So the last thing I want to say about Carrie's storyline is how... Absolutely adorable she is in the dinner scene with Julian. She is so per I would marry her right wow. there if I, I could. Wow, a real bone for her in this episode. Would adorable, be- that's exactly the word that Julian yeah. used. Yeah, hey, it's the patriarchy. What do you want her to call you, daddy? Check out my Versace snap. No, Alec, put that away. <laughs> I'm like, no. come on. She's drinking out of a little mug. She's no, she's cute. so like she's, she's drinking just, sake out of a little. Yeah, sake she's just so great. And like, I love the way that it, this is just an acting thing, really. But both of them in that scene, they always follow through. Like when when they're not when they're not speaking, they're listening. Mm. And Carrie does this really cute thing with her arms where she's he like, went there. he went there, I went there. And then when she's done, she does a flourish with her hands. Yeah. That's like not, I'm sure that wasn't in the script. That was all her. Well, and, and it's, just, it's Carrie being for my money. What you're speaking to in that scene is there's so much vulnerability that, um, Sarah Jessica Parker displays, She's talking about something that's probably really hard to talk about, which is the fact mm-hmm. that her and that she never talks about, which is that her dad left when she was five. And she she says, and that's the how that song goes or whatever. Yeah. And it's yeah. like this weird thing where she's kind of apologizing for her like sad past. And she's like, also saying, please don't ask me anything yeah. more. About yeah. It. She's saying so many things without saying them. Yeah. Um, Daniel. 
don't you feel like I've, I've heard my Michael Patrick King say this before, but it was very important to him that we not know much about the girls' backstories or ever see their family. Do you think that Except that's like brother sort of something that defines the show? Yeah, I think I, I think it's something like it, it forces us to like stay in the present with these with these girls. I think that's a really good way to put it because I feel like a lot of times in TV shows, like I think about Lost off the top of my head, sometimes TV shows rely so heavily on backstory. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I think when we watch stuff, we don't so we don't care so much about where characters have been right. or where they're going now. And we need to like we, it, it, the show is really the story of the these four women and it's about their relationships with with men and some women, but also with really with each other. Yes. And it's not about their families. Yes. You know, because they end up becoming each other's family. You know, it's, it's, it's really that. So I also think it's something that at the time watch when I first watched the series, it, it didn't, I didn't really think about it much. Yeah. It didn't occur to me till later. I was like, huh, we actually don't know much about the fam, their families at all. Right. Except like, you know, Miranda's mom passes away and like, there's and like Charlotte's brother of course but there's like there's almost none of it but I didn't notice initially mm-hmm. because and I'll just say you know like you know we, Daniel you and I are dear friends but it's not like you hang out with my sister all the time mm. it's not it's not part of what happens to us day to day and I think that that especially in places where You know, none of us grew up in Los Angeles. We all decided to move here and move away from our families to to be here. And so your friends become your family in that in that instance and that your family is a thing that exists and you care about, but isn't in your vicinity. Mm. Like maybe if I mean, it's like a good example is like your parents just moved nearby. So they are more a part of our life. And we talk about them a little bit more than we necessarily would back when they were on the other coast, you know? So I feel like it's, it, it is a very accurate view of how you and your friends live when you've moved far away sure. from where you And the you only times they come up is like in a, you know, really important sort of moment. Mm-hmm. And I think speaking to, uh, I just want to touch on one theme that sort of touched on with Carrie, um, which we mentioned the whole, my dad left when I was five. So is that why I'm fucked up about men? And I love that the show takes a moment to address that, but puts it to bed with Miranda saying, my dad came home at seven every night on the button Mm -hmm. and I don't have a clue about men Mm -hmm. either. And the point is, it's like, you know, part of what these women do for each other and what we do for each other as friends is we help each other, we support each other and and say like, you're whoever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. All that bullshit back there, guess what? I don't know all of it. I know some of it. But what I know is this person who's in front of me right now. And I think that's what great friends do for you is help, you know, can help you get out of your uh, bullshit and your where you go like, oh, no, am I going to always be? No, you don't have to always be anything based on something that happened to you. You can choose to go, "Eh, you know, no, I'm not forever fucked up because my dad left. So do we want to talk about you want to talk about Samantha? Next? Yeah, I'd like to wrap up with Charlotte. All right, let's talk Samantha. Catherine, talk to us about Samantha. I'm going to summarize real Great. quick. Um, so where we are with Samantha and Richard is, um, I guess the last time we saw was it was Star it change of dress best for best? No, w- ring it. Okay. Yeah. So ring a ding ding is best for best mm-hmm. yes ring-a-ding-ding sorry is, i'm sorry is um sexy for sexy style for sorry yes if you're if you're listening the reason that i have trouble keeping a timeline straight is because in between recording episodes of the show i just jump all over the place and i'm constantly Hells watching yeah. episodes so sometimes i have to uh, check myself before i wreck myself um the, this was the this was ring-a-ding-ding was the episode where she gets um i forget richard's assistant's name to write the car his name to yep. write the card or whatever. And she says, Oh look, love. <laughs> and like places, like pushes her hand out in front of him. So, love you know, it. and prior to that, it, it had been a situation where, um, you know, he says, you're not the mon- monotonous monogamous type, just like me. And so Samantha, despite herself, um, historically, uh, being a person who, 
doesn't want any kind of commitment has discovered that she, Richard Wright is that big fish that regrettably she wants to catch. She's caught monogamy from her friends. That's what she wants uh, from Richard. And, uh, but she's sort of like trying to figure out how to, how to negotiate this in her, in her life. And so in this episode, She's like, look, he's probably going to, he wants to fuck other women. So his birthday's coming up. Uh, he indicated he might want to sort of like have sex with this hostess. There's slash- an incredibly ridiculous scene at a restaurant mm-hmm. where they're celebrating Richard's birthday. And uh, a waitress comes over and makes it very clear that she wants to go to the bone zone. With both You're of them. You're the most attractive though. couple in the room. I've pre-ordered the chocolate souffle. If you, in case you'd like, like something that. sweet. And Richard says, always. I think she's really well cast. Her name is... I do too. I recognize her. Her actress's name is Rachel Nichols, and she's been in a bunch of stuff. But I always associate her with the Amityville Horror remake. She oh, plays the so baby. Long. She plays the babysitter. That tiny, tiny, tiny little um, Chloe Grace Moritz like shoves her dead her little finger into her eye. You're talking about the one wow. with Ryan Reynolds. Oh, no. Yes, that one. I haven't. Seen, I I remember thinking it was good. Am I misremembering? Oh, I thought um, it was pretty good. It's just been it a long time. I think I only saw it once. Um, interesting. What's her name? Rachel Nichols. Rachel Nichols. Yeah, so she's got them DSLs. Yeah. She's got long so blonde young hair. Blonde, yeah, she's you know, perfectly very cast. New York. So um, Samantha, so to just to sort of wrap it up, Samantha decides like, okay, this is something I could give Richard. I think I can do this. Richard sure. requests it. Yeah, yeah, he does. He says, I'll tell you what I'd like for my birthday. Um, you, me, and her. And Samantha's like, Ugh, okay. She kind of consults with the lady. She's like, is this weird? Is this fine? And they're like, okay. Um, sorry, we're summarizing here because I want to get in the weeds. But that, not that, gonna- d- that diner scene, though, is really great. And it made me think, like, you know, Samantha's asking advice of the other ladies. Like, is it okay to have a three-way with someone who's 21 years old? Is it, a, is it okay to have a three-way in general? You know, like, um, you know... I, if he's not going to be monogamous, then maybe he can sort of, you know, quote unquote, cheat in front of me rather than doing it behind my back. But one of the things that I I, I really appreciated about this scene, and it was a real epiphany You're for me. You're talking about the scene in the, the diner, diner scene. Which she's consulting with the ladies. It's a real epiphany for me when watching this show, which is I feel like. As friends, the three of us and, and all of our other friends in our group. Alec, Daniel's not going to have a three-way with us. Stop asking. Can I just ask, honey? <laughs> the, the epiphany that I had was, wouldn't it be great if we made a pact where we said, we'll never go to lunch with each other unless we're there in the middle of a storyline and if all of us can express our doubt and worry about how the storyline <laughs> is going to resolve. Because that's literally Deal. every diner they've ever been to together it's always like they're all in the middle of a storyline and have to consult each other about what to do next well what's interesting about what i especially noticed for this episode is everybody has their thing like and this is with every episode but carrie was like pushing like her she kept bringing up vogue no matter what (laughs) topic was it's all about it feels very selfish it does but for all four of them it was like kind of like that yeah Yeah. but we do get a great character moment Oh, with Charlotte. With Charlotte, where Charlotte's like, well... Just be careful, Samantha. When a man has a fantasy and you fulfill it, there's always the chance that the relationship could blow up and then you're just the idiot who did it with them on the golf course or something. You want to be careful because maybe if you give him this fantasy, he'll just like lose interest in you, and then you'll be stuck alone on this golf course. (laughs) You'll just be the woman who did it on with him on the golf course or or whatever. Yeah. And then she says, no, no, it's just a for instance, (laughs) as though she didn't actually have sex with Trey on the golf course, which is kind of fun. That's right. So Samantha, I I appreciate that it's best when you take characters and put them in uncomfortable situations. And, and Samantha, it's so genius because we know Samantha as the person who is the most sexually open 
Um, she's she's up for any idea. She's a trisexual. She'll, put on a fucking, She'll try anything. That's right. She'll put on a wrestling coat or wrestling uniform and you know and a stupid helmet and have <laughs> sex with a, and wrestle with a guy and then he'll stick it in and she's like yeah. But she has been put in a very unique situation where she doesn't really want to do the thing that's been asked of her, which is to have this three way because I think there's a concern for her that she won't be the most interesting party in that situation and yet because of who she is and who she's defined herself as she has to go to this waitress and say hey you know I actually think the writing in that scene where she asks the waitress to be a part of a three-way is really genius yeah because she never outright says exactly what's going to happen she's just she just says no actually it's uh, Richard's birthday this weekend and I'm trying to put together a little celebration for him certainly would you like to reserve one of our banquet rooms oh, or that won't be necessary it's a very small party a very small private party of three just Richard, myself, and a third. If you have any openings. You know, there's a party that's happening for this birthday, and it's uh, very exclusive. And and you would be the third invite. And that, you know, it becomes very obvious in that mm-hmm. moment what Samantha is yeah, asking. Yeah, it, it is really good writing that's carried off by good acting. Yeah, so Daniel, tell us what happens next. So the, th- the three-way is happening. It's going to happen. At the, at the three-way is about to start, and Samantha says to Alexa, oh, like, yeah. there's no kissing. Um you know, you can do it. We, we'll do everything else. But it's the can. pretty woman rule. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's when you right. sleep with a prostitute, you can do anything you want. But don't. But no and that's how you know Julia what? Roberts has fallen for Richard Gere. And yes. she lets him kiss her on the mouth. Kiss it. And uh, Sam- Samantha's like, you know, sets that sort of ground rule. And before Alexa can like confirm that she's going to adhere to that rule. Richard's like, champagne anyone? And she's like, I'm up for anything. (laughs) And like yanks her top down. And then Samantha yanks her top down too. And they start like having their threesome or whatever. And Samantha gets a little jealous and violently abuses Alexa (laughs) and shoves her. Physically assaults her. No, she just shoves her off the bed. And there's like this overhead shot of like Alexa falling off the bed. Yeah. And Richard's like, Come on, Samantha. <laughs> and she gets back in the bed and he was like, and she says, she Alexa says to Richard, that's right, you tell him, Daddy. Ugh. And Richard just looks at Samantha and says, get rid of her. Yeah. That was a bridge too far for Richard. Because the one Wright. thing he didn't want for his birthday was to feel old. The, the one thing he didn't want was to be reminded of his mortality. And isn't it interesting that after that happens, Richard decides he wants to try this monogamy thing after all. And I do think that is a very kind of true, uh, something that kind of rings true, which is that hum- it's a very human thing to kind of grass is always greener. You want, you think you want a thing. And mm-hmm. then when you get it, it's not exactly what you thought it was. And it sort of throws into sharp relief um, things about your life. And you maybe decide, like, it maybe gives you a moment of clarity. And that's yes. what happens for Richard here. He says to Samantha... Let's try this thing, just you and me. And, and she's you see like, this, you oh, see yeah. this, you see it on Samantha's face. Yeah. And Kim Cattrall's face. It's she's incredible in this in that mm-hmm. little moment. You just see her that it's all she's ever wanted her whole life. Yeah. Feeling. And she's like, sure, okay. And they're like officially a thing. Daniel, have you been the person in relationships past to bring up the conversation of monogamy or like getting serious or being just the two of us, mm, not we seeing make anyone it else. If we just the two do of us. Uh, yes, I have. Uh, tell me, th- did you know going into that moment that that's the conversation you were going to have? No. Really, it was spontaneous. Yes. Did it just bubble up out of you? Yes. Did you have concern that that was what you wanted, but maybe not what your partner wanted? And that you no. just, you knew that they would want it too, but you needed to make it a fish. Yes, but it wasn't, it was like that thing where we'd been sort of, you know, casual and then it felt comfortable and then it felt normal. And we were just sitting on a couch and he was like on his laptop and I was just like, hey, let's just do this for real. And he's like, okay. 
I love how that's, that's life happening. Impressive. And then we broke up. Years later, but then we broke up. Wow, Alec, way to really kill the mood. And that's how we broke up too. We we're sitting on the couch, and I was like, "Do you still want to do this?" <laughs> and he was like, "No." And I was like, "I knew it." <laughs> Let's talk. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> Miranda and Charlotte. Now, what Alan, I love... take us through it. What I love about this is this is the rare storyline where where they both intersect completely. This is a Miranda and Charlotte oh, storyline. I love it so much. It is the two of them. They don't have a separate story. It's the two of them together. And, you know, Miranda... It's not about men. No. Sorry, that just came out. It just bubbled up. In, in a... I think that that on the surface, some might say that Samantha and Charlotte are the most different, but I actually think that Miranda and Charlotte Ooh. are the most different because because Miranda is the most cynical and Charlotte is the most optimistic. Oh. And nowhere do we see that um, characterized more than in this episode. Well, we, what we also see is the way in which they're similar is they're both very stubborn. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. God, that is so true. And that's what makes this storyline sing <gasps> is that both mm. of them just can't relinquish control. I think control. more so than Carrie and Samantha. Yeah, yes. absolutely. They're the two most stubborn. Easily. Set in their ways. Yes. Easily. So... Miranda is in the um, unenviable position of not knowing what she's doing. I thought you were going to say of being pregnant. Well, <laughs> well absolutely. <laughs> that There is no doubt that that is a true We've statement. We've already established how gassy she is. Oh, yes. and now I don't want to do that. She, what I love <laughs> so much about Miranda and Charlotte is that Miranda is not the perfect candidate for a baby. Not in any no, scenario. No, not by really. anyone's standards. Course. Yeah. So, Miranda, I to be straight up honest with you, I don't even remember how the baby shower comes up. Well, she's come. She's just come back. She's late to late to the diner or the yeah. restaurant or whatever because she's just come from crib world. That's she's right. trying to get all the things she needs uh, as a new as a an almost new mom. She doesn't even know what all she needs. Yeah. And, and all Charlotte's the choices like, are confusing know. her. And Charlotte's like, it's not too late to have a baby shower. That way, you know, this is 2002. So it's not like, you know, now where you could order all your shit online and have people, which Miranda would absolutely do yes. in 2019. She uh, People would come assemble her shit. She mm-hmm. would, everything would be delivered and whatever. But in 2002... It's it's a, everything's a little bit more manual, and so she's facing having to run all over town as a pre- very pregnant person, picking out cribs. She's like, um, she's she doesn't like, even know what a breast have, pump is. What am I gonna have time to I get all this stuff? All this. And Charlotte yeah. says, "You can register for all this stuff. People will buy it for you. Have a party." Yes. Miranda's like, "No." <sighs> Eventually, mm-hmm. okay. She says, "Charlotte, are you sure?" And that's a very sweet thing. Yeah. She says, are you sure after all you've been through this year that you, you know, would feel she's been trying and trying to have a baby um, that you'd feel OK um, giving me a baby shower? And Charlotte says, I think it would help me. I think, mm-hmm. I think it'd be good for me. And it's such a sweet moment. Yes. But Miranda says, OK, but none of that baby shit. She's got some motherfucking conditions on this bitch. No storks. No yeah. storks. No no baby frou-frou baby stuff. And I'm not opening presents in front of everyone. And oh, yeah. I want fried chicken. No crustless yeah. sandwiches. Yeah. Nothing cutesy. Lots of fried chicken. Mostly fried chicken. Fried chicken is really the thing that she's most interested in. Yes, I think aren't we, we all? can agree upon. Yeah. So from that moment, Charlotte starts trying to peel back them demands and make this the baby shower that she wants, Mm -hmm. which is what makes this so genius is that these two women have very different ideas of what they want. And now Daniel, you were very vocal while watching the episode (laughs) at your frustration at Charlotte's inability to like listen to what Miranda was fucking saying. Yeah. Talk to us. There's a scene where it's just you we have gotten so used to these characters and these episodes and these actresses that we I don't they do such a great job and it's the scene where Miranda's at work and there's oh she's boy. on a phone call I'm on a conference call here Charlotte York says it's an emergency 
Charlotte, what's wrong? Are you okay? I'm fine. I'm just looking over your registry, and there's some things you forgot to include, like a Manhattan Who's It. A what? It's a learning toy. Active toys make for passive children. There's a whole philosophy behind it. I don't have time for philosophy. I'm on a conference call with our London office. What about a peek-a-ball? Peek-a-ball. Peek-a-ball Miranda. Jesus, Charlotte, I have to get back. Just one more quick thing. I know you said no storks, but I saw the most gorgeous centerpiece in the shape of a stork. I'm at work. Well, we have to order it by noon. Now, its feathers are white Fiji mum. What did I say? No storks. But these people are giving you expensive gifts, and they're going to want to see a little baby. No storks, no present opening, no cutesy baby stuff. We agreed. What about a marzipan baby carriage? Charlotte, it has a white chocolate peanut butter baby inside, and you can eat the baby. Miranda? And Charlotte interrupts her with an emergency phone call about useless, inane stuff that yes. she thinks... on an important conference that call. That I felt so furious for Miranda because I was like, she has to get back to that phone call. Because <laughs> I'm like, she's actually at work right now. And yes. I imagine like her being like, London's waiting on the conference call. And she and and well, I wrote down, what did, what did Charlotte say? She's like, don't you want to peek a ball? You know, <laughs> it's, an, it's a toy. You know, a, like active toys make for passive babies. It's a whole philosophy. And... And, and Miranda ends up just hanging up on Charlotte. Yes. And I was like, I would have hung up too. Yes. Do you know what occurred to me just now as we were talking about this? That we've already seen my motherboard myself. Yes. We, you know, when Miranda's mother dies and she has that moment, that beautiful moment in the dressing room with the stranger who's, you know, and, and, she, and she says, I think I know what's best. And Miranda's like, no, you don't. You know, and... It's all this stuff about her mother and how her mother was always very controlling and never listened to her and came into dressing rooms when she said no. And so Miranda had a mother who was all about who who just who just never listened to her boundaries. And so I'll bet you this stuff with Charlotte was really hitting a nerve with Miranda, who is a control freak. Yes. And you know, and, and Miranda's uh, Charlotte's like, no, 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 listen to me. And she's not listening to Miranda. And and she's like, I'm gonna play in the baby shower. I want her to have because I know better than she does. Yes. Um, and in many ways she does, but in some ways she needs to listen. And that's, but anyway, it just occurred to me that like, mm. this is definitely going to be hitting a nerve with well, Miranda who's about to become a mother about what, her own mother. What I think that this episode taps into uh, about Miranda's character and that we've seen is that Miranda doesn't like getting help from other people. Mm. Miranda is very independent. She doesn't like... Uh, she's very prideful. She doesn't like being vulnerable. When when her neck goes out and Aiden has to come over and help her, mm-hmm. it's like just awful. And I think that this is is a variation on that same theme, which is you know Charlotte comes over to Miranda's place to talk about the baby shower. No, she says, what? I, this this is why I get angry. Okay, tell me because. <laughs> Because Miranda has been very clear about what she said she wants and what yes. she does not want. Very clear. Yes. yes. And sh- Charlotte has come over to help Miranda figure out where things need to go in her apartment yes. for the baby. And Charlotte's like, is the bassinet can go over here? Have you thought about where the baby's going to sleep? Have you got, what about this? What kind of mom are you? What kind of mom are you? And, you have and, to answer all these questions and, right now. And you see Miranda like sort of processing it and sort of ca- calmly saying like, I haven't thought about that. I don't, I don't know. And then Charlotte continuing to push and continuing to push and overstepping like those boundaries and yes. saying, this is a, you know, this is a de- baby death trap. There's so many sharp corners. And Miranda starts to snap and Charlotte says, Miranda basically makes a comment about the fried chicken and Charlotte's Mm -hmm. like, well, about that. Well, first Charlotte keeps pushing. So Mm -hmm. she said, I told you no storks. Yes. I was very clear. And she said that the, the, uh, like the invitation had a stork on it. And (laughs) Charlotte's like, no, Mm -hmm. it's a duck with a cigar that says it's a boy on it. And Miranda's (laughs) like, I said, no, Cutie stuff. <laughs> and she was like, as long as I get my fried chicken, she's like, well, actually, now it's just a nice masculine green. And it's a lovely Putinesca, which I just Putinesca. looked up in. That's pasta. It's pasta. And that's where I was like, Charlotte? Charlotte. Yeah. Miranda, the only thing Miranda said was, I mean, she said a few things, but the main thing was fried chicken. Yes. <laughs> Like it's ludicrous. Charlotte. And she and she mentions that she has a stork centerpiece. Yes. Charlotte. Yes. And I was like, 
Charlotte. Charlotte Elizabeth York. I don't even know if that's her middle so name. They get, it feels they get, like they get it in this sort of like I say like seventy five percent fight. That's yes. like a little presentational. That's like there's some really like sparring with each other. <laughs> yeah, and it is ends hysterically with. <laughs> With with Charlotte screaming about Putinesca and Miranda says, but "Don't so, hurt, don't, don't run at any sharp, sharp corners on your way out." Yeah, and like they give each other like a ludicrous look. Yeah, Charlotte's look is so farcical. They might as well be in a play. Yeah, what like, is this noises off? Yeah, just people slamming doors and yelling. It's at really each other. fun. It's yeah. really really fun. And there's a small just just to mention how. I think because the story demanded it, Carrie makes everything about herself. Just a small scene where Miranda and Carrie are on a stoop talking. And Miranda has the brilliant line where she's like, I realize I'm the one who needs to be childproofed, which is such a great line. But Carrie says like, you you should quit being a mother. Maybe you should, we should both quit. Like how I'm gonna quit at Vogue. And I'm like, bitch, stop <laughs> trying to make it about thing. you. <laughs> you came over here to take care of your friend. Um, but I don't really mean that. I say that in jest. Well, what what Miranda also says in that scene, which I identify with very a, a little bit, where she says that she's you know she she's worried that she's gonna be you know Charlotte pointed out all this stuff that's she's doing wrong that she hasn't thought about and she points out that she <laughs> she said she dropped her was it cousin something like that yeah or niece or nephew niece or something yeah. that that yeah. she, she was babysitting she's thirteen years old she's babysitting and the, you know the, the kid fell off the couch because she wasn't paying attention she got she bored sword. she got bored yes and had two stitches and she's worried that she's and we see that moment called back a little later every child I've ever babysat has been injured <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> seriously yeah it just happens yeah um so finally it's very funny we end up at the baby shower and where it's nice. Charlotte surprises Even Miranda. with the fried chicken, it's nice. It is. It's yeah. very beautiful. And Miranda's very pleased. And it, we should clarify, it's at Charlotte's apartment. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I want to... I want to give a good acting alert. Uh-oh. I think that Charlotte pulls off a really tough moment to act like I think that if I had been given this script and they were like, okay, you have to do this. I'd be like, Jesus, this is hard, which is, uh, Miranda is, is opening gifts and she's presented with a Tiffany baby rattler. And that triggers Charlotte because that was the rattler that Trey gave her when, uh, they, when decided they decided they were going to have a baby yeah. together. And Char- like Charlotte in one line, has to look at that baby rattler and then say, oh, that was the rattler that Trey, and then she sort of trails off and starts to cry. And I think, like, she does that really well. You totally believe it. You don't think about it at all. I mean, you don't think about the writing at all or anything. And I think that's actually super hard to pull off because that's a little unnatural. In real life, I don't think you do that. I don't well, think you'd be Well, she's tasked like, with giving exposition to explain to all the lawyer women there why yes. she's crying. So she has to say, that's the same rattle that Trey gave me when we, <gasps> I'm she, sorry. And then she you runs know? away. It's yeah. like, yeah. yeah. And she runs away and, and she could have, you know, it's like, it is a sort of unnatural thing to have to do as an actor, yeah. but she, totally in less skilled off. hands, I feel like that moment would feel really fake, but I don't, I don't, even flinch when I watched that. I was like, I'm like, yeah, that's completely real. I buy that. Very and, and such a perfect scene that follows, which is Charlotte goes to her room to cry. Miranda comes in and Miranda discovers her maternal instinct or, yeah. uh, or realizes she has it when yeah. she is comforting Charlotte and saying, you know, what a great, look what you did. And she's sort of stroking her. And it's so sweet. Yeah, it is. Very sweet. And in classic Sex in the City fashion, of course, that scene ends with Samantha opening the door and say, can we hurry this well, along? Well, technically, there is. So right before that scene, one of the other moms that was there gives her baby to Miranda. Oh yes. And Miranda doesn't know what to do with the baby. Just kind of like puts the baby next to her on the couch and the baby <laughs> falls off the couch and Carrie catches yes, the baby. It's incredibly funny. It is hilarious. It's exactly it's so what good. I would probably do with a child. Yes. And that scene between um, Char- Charlotte and Miranda is interrupted by Carrie coming, like 
Coming. Yes. Yes. Samantha coming in is like, can we hurry this up? I got a three way I got to get to. <laughs> and, you know, um, Carrie coming, who's now the baby, who's like, yeah, this baby just peed all over my shirt. Yeah. yeah. None of it's them great. like kids. Maybe that's where I learned to not like kids. I Maybe don't it was know. sex in the state. No, I've always Maybe. hated kids. Even when I was a kid, I was like, I should have been aborted. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You don't hate children. You just don't no. want children. Yes, that's right. I love children all around the world. Yes. Uh, oh. I, I love Been around the world and now I, 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 yeah, yeah. I, I love, love all the children. Um, Daniel, would you put this in a list of like episodes that need to be seen canonically to understand the show? No, I wouldn't. Okay. Catherine, anything you take away from this episode? What's like, what's the one moment that if you said, okay, we'll just see this one moment, what would it be from this episode? I guess it would be, if I had to pick a moment, it would be Miranda comforting Charlotte um, during the baby shower. Um, but if I had to, but if I wanted to pick a storyline, I'd say the whole Miranda Charlotte thing. So we are approaching very quickly next episode, the end of season four. I can't believe it. I mean, the show is, I, I think, really in its prime. I can't believe it. We're going to have a short season in five. And because of Sarah Jessica Parker's Her pregnancy. pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we have a double, like there's 6A and 6B. Yeah, 6A, yeah. 6B. Which I think was really the start of that trend of yes. a lot of shows. I remember now. being like, oh my gosh. Uh-huh. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Splitting it up. Yeah. Yeah. Now shows do that all the time. We've got so much exciting stuff ahead. Um, wow, so many iconic characters. And my episodes. favorite, my favorite episodes. Yeah, coming up I very know. soon. I know my the very episodes that episodes. we that we all of us we watch more than any other episode, mm-hmm. yeah. which is I Love a Charade and, and One. one. Those, Those two, two episodes yeah. are 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 collectively Alex and my and Daniel's and Matthew's very, very favorite episodes. Yes, Daniel, where can we find you online? Oh, you can find me on Instagram as Daniel. X Montgomery. Ooh, XXX. Or on Twitter is Daniel Montgomery. And if we want to listen to you on another podcast, where can we do that? You can do it on iTunes or Stitcher or I, I don't, I, I was going to say Google Play, but I'm not sure if that's true. And what's the name of that my podcast? My podcast is the podcast that I do with my my twin brother, Matthew. We do um, Welcome to Deadcast, the Goosebumps podcast. I highly recommend it. Leave them and us uh, a rating on iTunes, please. please. I just got please. a message from a uh, Carry On listener or a Boys and Ghouls listener. I'm pretty sure it was a Carry On listener who said they found Welcome to Deadcast through our podcast. I did. So you're fucking welcome. You've got at least one listener. Thanks to my ass. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Write us. Rate us. We love hearing from you. And uh, until next time. Carry on. My stoop.